Mark chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Last week we uh, talked some about Jesus taking his disciples, taking his students on a field trip. Now again, as we noted last week, many of you, you've been on a field trip before. Maybe you've led a field trip. That is, after you've kind of taught some things in the classroom, as you've gone through the academic side of it, then you perhaps take that, you take those students, you take that class out to the field to be able to see that, uh, that instruction, well, to see it applied, to see the practical nature of it. So you go out on a field trip. You know, when our kids go on field trips now, oftentimes they will send home these little notes where we will have to sign for permission. And in some sense now, you have to sign like these liability waivers. Have you noticed that? I'm thinking they're, they're going to the zoo. They're going to Mount Driscoll. They're going maybe to the farm. They're going, and you've got to sign now these liability waivers so that you will not sue them if something happens to your child, right? You've been there, you've done that? So I was thinking about applying it here. Could you imagine if Jesus had gone to his disciples, his students, of course, they would have been of age, and and said, hey, before we go anywhere, I need you to sign some liability waivers. Because what you're about to experience may be a little difficult. You know what? As a matter of fact, when Jesus... If he were to give a liability waiver like that, Rob, it would, have, it would have looked like it would have covered these medical procedures. Some of you signed that before the medical procedure that you've had. You know, you're going into a little test and it tells you every bad thing that could happen. You've been there. And I think if these disciples were asked, Ty, there's another legal mind. If they were asked to, to be able to sign a liability waiver, it would have covered all kinds of things that they would have experienced. I mean, it would have covered things that would have totally baffled their mind. Think of this. If Jesus were to have said, now, before we go on this field trip, you need to sign this liability waiver because I can promise you that we're going to go through one of the most difficult storms you've ever experienced, and you'll think you're drowning. And then after we get over to the other side, we're going to run into some demons. And then some disease. You better be careful because there's going to be sick folks and disease will be there as well. And you know what? Before it's over with, you're going to experience death. How many of you would be backing out of the field trip, right? I'm like, Jesus, I don't think I'm putting my name on that. I'm not sure I can write that down. But this field trip was filled with perils, but also opportunities. That Jesus was teaching them his authority and his strength. He was showing them what he could not tell them. I mean, he could talk to them about his authority. They could sense it in his teaching. But now they're going to be out in the boat. They're going to see the storm. They're going to recognize now with with everything in their heart that this man is so different. Because he has the power to calm storms. They're going to see how he has the power over demonic activity. How he has the power over disease and death itself. That's what you see in this field trip. And that's how you see Jesus demonstrating his authority over all things. I want to show you again this authority. Especially as it relates to those who are being oppressed. Those who need deliverance from oppression. I want to show you that. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. 
We continue this narrative. We continue the field trip. Jesus again had been teaching all day. His disciples, they had launched out into the boat with him. They had gone to the other side. Of course, you remember this mega storm, this intense storm came about. They thought they were drowning. But Jesus had spoken to the wind and the waves and there was calmness. And now in verse 1 it says, they came to the other side of the sea. Remember how I closed last week by just reminding you that if Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to get there. It doesn't matter the storm. It doesn't matter everything that will come against you. I'm telling you that if Jesus says you're going to make it, you're going to make it. So they come to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. This is a Gentile area, an area that's been identified as the Decapolis, the ten cities of the Gentiles over on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Here they come. And it says, verse 2, When he had come, that is Jesus, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So try to envision this as you can. They're getting to the other side of the sea. They've been through the storm. Man, it's just like it's time to take a break and rest. We've been through the storm. We, we've experienced all those things. Now we're, we're getting to the other side. I believe personally this is probably at night. Uh, we're not sure about that. But remember they left in their little boat in the evening. They were trying to get over to the other side. There was a storm that had caused some delay. But I think they're probably there at night. That's kind of an ominous feeling itself, Right? Being there on the seashore at night. I know for fishermen it might not have been because they would have fished at night. But for you and I, when there's darkness, it just kind of adds to the setting, to the context. They get to the other side. It's dark. They get up out of the boat. And all of a sudden, they are met by this man. This man who has an unclean spirit. Now, fellow disciples here. Would not we have asked maybe, Jesus, could we go back? Could we, could we go ahead and just turn around and go? This field trip is not going the way I thought it would go. I mean, you're in the dark, this man, and, and look the way he's described, okay? Obviously, he's a man with an unclean spirit, verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is the kind of guy that welcomes you to the Gentile community. This is the kind of guy that welcomes you to the other side. Now, I told you a moment ago, if Jesus said you're going to get to the other side, you're going to get there. But he didn't tell you what you're going to find on the other side. You may find on the other side continued distress and maybe even desperation. Because this man just runs up out of the dark to see Jesus. He is a man who has been used to crying out, mutilating himself with stones. He lived among the tombs. The Talmud teaches... That there were four characteristics of madness. One, if you were to walk about during the night. One or two, if you were to lay upon the tomb at night. Number three, tearing your clothes. 
And number four, destroying anything that somebody would give you. Let me say to you that this guy met all four characteristics. This guy had been shackled. Literally what it says is that the people of the town had, had tried to control him. The word control is the same word that James will use later on in the New Testament to teach us about controlling or taming an animal. For all practical purposes, the townspeople looked at this guy like an animal. He, would, he had been bound, and yet he would break it. The fetters around his ankles, the chains around his wrist, and yet he would break them as though he had some type of supernatural strength. And he was among the tombs crying out and cutting himself. What a sad picture. What a desperate picture. I mean, within his cries at night as he wandered around, it was almost the cry of desperation itself. He had been isolated from his community. He had been self-mutilating himself. He had been... He had found himself in a desperate situation. One of the most desperate situations that we could even begin to imagine. Now, we're told that he has an unclean spirit. We're going to dig into that more in a moment. But this man has allowed a demon to come into his life or demons to come into his life. And now it has wreaked havoc upon him. You know, when I read through this text, and I know there are several in Christian history or so that will try to dismiss the idea of demonic activity or they'll try to dismiss the idea of this being a true demon possession. Some people, especially as we thought we have gained in our insight and understanding, a lot of people would say, well, this was just a guy who was suffering from some type of mental illness and, and, uh, and that's all that was. It was not the demon possession. They only described it the way they, they thought they could in the day and age. And for those people, they just described it as demon possession. Let me say to you, when the scripture tells you it's a demon possession, it is a demon possession. And there's demonic activity that is here. Now, let me not dismiss mental illness. Just about a week or two ago, I spoke at a mental health summit here in town. And I was reminded of how we in the church need to speak to mental health as well. How we need to talk about physical and spiritual and mental health. You know what? God comes to our hearts and He gives us mental rest. He gives us mental healing. And I, and I think it begins with God, but there are, and that He uses so many different resources to be able to help people and encourage people that are going through mental fatigue, mental issues in their hearts and lives. I am thankful for folks counselors who can be there for us and talk with us. I'm thankful for for doctors who can help us to work through things. But let me just say to you, as we look at this scripture, those of us who find ourselves in desperate situations, we know that ultimately it is God who has to bring such healing in our hearts and lives. May I suggest to you today that there could be people in this audience And certainly there are people in this community 
who are experiencing some type of demonic affliction, maybe uh, desperation in their hearts and in their lives. Now let me say this as well. I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush. I mean, I'm not saying to you that everything that happens to us in life is because of demonic activity. But may I say as well that some things that we see in this life is a warfare in the spiritual world between that which is good and that which is evil. And there is demonic activity around us always. Dr. Adrian Rogers probably said it best when he talked about the Christian and demon possession. Dr. Adrian Rogers said that a Christian, a believer, cannot be possessed by a demon. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit lives in our lives. Our hearts are not big enough for the Holy Spirit and some other spirit to try to invade. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Get that Holy Spirit. The holy, the righteous, the right spirit lives within us as believers. So a demon cannot possess us. But Dr. Rogers also pointed out many years ago that Christians can possess a demon. Well, that sounds like spiritual double talk, doesn't it? What does he mean by that? He meant that you and I, even as believers, can allow demonic influences to come into our hearts and lives and affect us and impact us if we are not careful. Now, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit still has control. He never yields control to anyone else. But for us, we must know that there are demonic forces out there that will try to prey upon us. And sometimes things that we dismiss as certain type of Disorders or medical conditions, sometimes it could be a demonic force that is coming into our lives. And we can find ourselves desperate. May I say to you that when I think of issues like addiction, drugs, alcoholism, I believe that in many cases there are demonic influences that come in to try to lure us to those things. And when they get, catch us, it seems like it is, it is unbearable. There's nothing we can do to extricate ourselves from it or nothing that a doctor or a counselor... I'm going I'm to tell you, even a preacher, when I've sat in an office trying to talk to people through these kinds of issues, I realize there's nothing that I can do myself. I can try to help them on their journey, but I am so inadequate to help them in this addiction in their hearts and lives. And I sense their desperation. I sense their desperation. You know, it's one thing for this individual who's controlled, an individual who's an unbeliever, that has never seen the light, that has never understood the salvation of God. It's one thing for them to experience such an influence and be in such a state of desperation. It is also something else for a believer who knows the truth and yet has allowed a demonic influence to come into their hearts and lives and for them to feel like there's nothing that they can do. I know I'm moving out there a little bit. Some of you are probably questioning me a little bit in my theology right now. And don't worry, I'm about to turn 40 some. I'm older now, so I can use that as an excuse, right? 
I love the way when you get older, you can just say, I can say whatever I want. People just kind of dismiss me, you know? You don't believe me? Come to Deacon's meeting and listen to Dwight Anderson sometimes, you know? <laughs> I'm convinced that there are times that demonic influences come in to bring depression into our hearts and lives. That they're trying to somehow indicate to us that we're totally defeated. Now, again, I'm not taking away from counselors. Don't hear me try to knock the mental illness, those who are helping in mental health. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just saying to you that there could be something else underlying in some of these cases. And that what we experience in our depression... And, and listen, you and I think we may be removed from depression. You better not think that. Because just the moment... That you allow that pride to set in in your heart and life is the moment that you'll fall in to these demonic influences. And you'll find yourself battling a deep depression. You better be careful. We can find ourselves in desperate situations. And I believe that there are folks here this morning that feel that desperate. They may not look that way physically. They may not have all these types of activities or characteristics about them that this man has. But what I've discovered, I think, in the years that I've been in ministry is that Satan still tries the same old tactics. All he does is he just dresses it up in a better fashion. He makes it a little more sophisticated, a little more civilized. He puts a suit on it. And yet, it is still just as desperate as it was in this man's time. You and I may not have been running around uh, in the tombs. We may not have been crying out or mutilating ourselves, but we know what it's like, perhaps, to feel desperation. But may I give you this? There was a desperate cry that this man had, but he met Jesus Christ. And through the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, he experienced freedom from that oppression in his heart and his life. Look at this. Verse 6. When he, that's the man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, that word worship, I think it could be better translated prostrate, prostrated himself before Jesus. He laid out before Jesus. He recognized, he paid him homage and honor for who he was. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. He, he knew who Jesus was. How could he know that? Well, certainly, as he had watched Jesus walk upon this earth, perhaps. Don't forget that these... Demonic hordes are fallen angels. He had come in contact with this one before. He knew who he was. He calls him by name. He says, what am I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And I, I, I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but I love this part. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Because this is what the demon was saying. Hey, I know my time's coming. And I know I'm under judgment. But I pray this is not it. Please don't do it now. 
I, I, see, I, I like this because it means that all of evil, everything that stands against the kingdom of God, there is coming a day when it will all be done away with. No more demonic activity, no more demonic influences, no more. But judgment is reserved. Look at the book of Revelation. That word torment is found over and over in the book of Revelation to speak to the final judgment of all of these forces that would stand against him. It's not if God will show his victory. It is when God will show his victory. It's not if these demons will be defeated. It is when they will see the consummation of that defeat as he comes again. That's what's incredible. So he says, hey, I pray this is not the time that you torment me. This is not my time. I'm hoping that you're not here to judge me. Oh, and that idea of bowing down, it also reminds me of the end time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That one day all of creation will bow down. Even the demons themselves will recognize that he is the Lord Most High. Verse 8, so Jesus said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So Jesus said, you come out of him. You separate yourself. What is your name? And he says, my name is Legion. And much has been name, made about that name. If you go and study, obviously a legion was referred to a military unit in the Roman army. There were at least 6,000 soldiers, at least 6,000 soldiers that would be found in that unit. Some people have tried to put a number on this. I, I don't necessarily try to find a number of 6,000 plus demons that were in this man. All I can tell you is the scripture says there were many. There were a lot. This man had been tormented for some time. And the demon, verse 10, begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. Notice it is a Gentile area like I told you. There's a herd of swine that's there. This demon or the demons, they beg for them to be able to be released into those swine. You can tell that for the Jewish mind, at least, the swine... They, they wouldn't count for anything. It's kind of like we think about cats today, right? <laughs> Unclean animals. Hey, I'm just, I, just one more. That was it. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to touch it again for some time. Just going to leave it alone. Thought you needed to laugh there for a moment. It's getting a little serious in here. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there in the mountain, so the demons begged him, it says, send us into the swine, verse 13. And once Jesus gave them permission, because note this, through this all, Jesus has the authority. They can't enter anything, they can't do it unless it comes under the authority of Jesus. Jesus gave them authority, gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. The language here indicates it's like you could watch them. Pig after pig going over that cliff or going into that sea. About 2,000. So those who fed the swine fled, told it in the city and in the country. They went out to see what it was that had happened. 
And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed had, and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind. Means that he had his right thoughts. He could reason. This man had been delivered from his oppression. He was sitting there clothed. He was sitting there again part of the social network, part of the people. He was no longer isolated or alienated. He was healed by the authority and the power of Jesus. This Jesus still has the power and the authority to lift the oppression the demonic oppression, whatever oppression that we find in our lives, He is still able to lift it and to give us healing in who we are. You don't believe me? All you got to do is look at me as a believer of Christ Jesus. Because before I knew Him, I was enslaved to my sin. I was oppressed in my sin. Darkness had consumed me. I could not do anything that I really should do because I had not known the life and the spiritual empowerment of Jesus Christ in my life. Those of us who are saved in this place, we certainly could say we've been delivered from oppression. Because Satan and his armies and sin itself had enslaved us. But we've been freed. And those of us who've been through these trying moments of addiction, those moments where demonic influences tried to enslave us again, those of us who have gotten through those days of depression, we know what it's like to be delivered through Christ's authority and His touch. Now, notice this. It said... Those who had kept the swine ran back in town. They told everybody that all the people came and they saw this man sitting there and just so different. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. So these Gentiles come, they see this expression of power and they said, Jesus, would you just leave? They're afraid. Now, some people say that they were upset because the swine had been destroyed and thus the property and because of all that, the loss of value, and that they valued the swine more than they did this man. Perhaps they did. Perhaps they did. Certainly you would think that they would have looked at this man who had been through all this desperation in his heart and life, had seen him delivered. There's no doubt nobody in the place doubted that this Jesus had made a difference. You would think they would have celebrated it, but instead, they were afraid they asked him to leave. I think there's a part of this that goes back to like verse 41 of chapter 4, of where the disciples, they were in the presence, and it was like they were just standing in awe and fear of him because they recognized what power. But for these Gentiles, the townspeople, instead of embracing him, they begged him to leave. Look in verse 18. When he got into the boat. I didn't put this down in my notes, but I just thought about this. 
Sometimes when you ask Jesus to get out of your life, He'll get out. You say, I don't want you, just move. Okay. He left. He who had been demon-possessed, though, begged Him that He might be with Him. The guy had been healed. Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be left. Jesus, I want to go with you. This idea of being with Him is the same idea as discipleship. I want to be your disciple. I want to go with you. Because when you, listen, when Jesus does something for you in your heart and life and He changes you and delivers you from oppression, all you want to do is be with Him. Because you knew how desperate you were and now you know how victorious you are. You just want to be with Him. However, Jesus did not permit Him. This was not, this was not to be the will for Him to go with Jesus. But rather, look at this, He said to Him, this is a little unlike Jesus this time because Jesus usually told him to be quiet until the certain time of his, of his glorification. But notice, he says, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. He said, You go and you tell people what's been, what has occurred. You let them know how you have seen the compassion. And he departed and began to pro- proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marvel. I bet he did, huh? I mean, when people saw him coming up, I mean, this was the guy who was walking in the tombs. You could see how they start, might start, whoa, ho, ho, ho. Until they began to hear his testimony of what God had done in his heart and life. Those kinds of testimonies are powerful. To be able to talk about the deliverance of God in one's life. When I was in Zachary... There was a coach that was so well-respected. He taught math. He did a lot of things. As a matter of fact, he's gotten to come up here and be with me once or so in the temple service. He had everything together. Or at least that's the way it appeared to the community. Until the cocaine addiction came into his life. And he hid it as long as he could. I mean, he was a deacon. He was a member of the church. He was all these kinds of different things. But finally, that addiction had so consumed him that he could not hide it any longer. And he found himself on a downward spiral. May I just say to you, just to kind of skip ahead a little bit. The Lord delivered him. Gave him strength. There were some tough days. When a father-in-law had to go and basically, well, demonstrate some authority over his son-in-law. Get him to some help. and Work through it and. I remember when I was there and he, he began telling me this and working through it. I said, man, you need to tell this story. Because, I mean, a lot of the church didn't even know. I said, you need to tell this story. He said, you'd think my story would make an impact on somebody else? I said, oh, yeah. Because, first of all, it reminds us that all of us in this place, all of us who come to church every Sunday, we face different type of influences, evil demonic influences that come at us. 
We are not protected just by these walls of this building. They come to us. So first of all, it will remind us of that. And people need to know that there are those people that are supposed to look good to everybody else but have struggles in their hearts and lives. So people need to hear that. Second of all, people need to hear that God delivers from oppression. He said, all right, bud. He said, well, I got to go. I got to talk to my superintendent of schools. I got to talk to the other and make sure they're good with it. I said, you go do whatever you need to do. And of course, after getting permission from them and sitting down, we videoed his testimony and he gave it to our church. Not sure there were many drives in the building that day. Because we were moved to be reminded that our God delivers. I can't imagine what it was like when this demoniac from Gadarenes went into that town and began to proclaim what Jesus had done. How he'd been delivered. May I say to you today, we have that same privilege. There are people that are hurting and desperate within this building, within this community, and what they need to hear is that our God delivers from oppression. That our God has the authority over all spirits, over all beings, over everything, and He can deliver them. He can work with His own resources. I want to say to you, tell them, tell them that He delivers from oppression because He is our true hope. He is our Savior who has brought us from darkness to light and who can bring healing to our lives. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I come to you this morning and I pray. I pray first of all for folks in this place who are living in oppression. There are some who have never accepted you and because of that, they are being oppressed by sin. They're being oppressed by all this world would bring into their hearts and lives. God, I pray first of all that you would deliver them from darkness and that you'd bring them to light and that they would be saved through your son, the Lord Jesus. But God, I also pray for those of us who are saved. We know that we're not demon-possessed. We know we have the Spirit of God in us. But God, so often, we allow the demonic evil influences to come and to sway our, to sway our decisions and our devotion. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would bring us help for that one that is battling the spirit of depression this morning. God, I pray that you would show your authority over that. Show them life and purpose and hope. For that one, that's dealing with drugs, that's dealing with alcohol, that's whatever else it is, Lord. Any type of addiction. Father, we pray that tonight, today that you would break the hold of that upon their lives. That you would allow them to reach out for help and ministry. God, how grateful we are to you for doing for, for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And we proclaim it. 
we shout it that you deliver from oppression. Father, bless us as we tell that message to everybody we come in contact with. It's in Jesus' name we pray.